What's up, everybody? It's Jason with Founders BR. I'm going to get right to it. Today's guest needs no introduction. Nick is the founder and president of Emergent Method. What he's done, not with only within his organization, but within the community, has been nothing short of amazing. So I'll let you get right into it. Today's episode is chock full of some really great tips and tricks on how to lead a successful and thriving organization. So without further ado, check it out. Welcome everybody, it's Jason with Founders VR. I'm here with Nick Sprayer with Emergent Method. Uh, super excited to have him on today. Got a lot of good stuff to share, already kind of had some chatting. So uh, Nick, welcome. And it's good to be here, Jason. I appreciate the opportunity. Man, it's my pleasure, my pleasure. So I, I'm super excited, dude. I, there's a lot that I know that you can share. Um, a lot of people listening are gonna be really interested in hearing and just already hearing a little bit about your background, man. Uh, really excited to kind of get, get into it. So uh, real quick, for those who don't know, Tell me a little bit about who is Nick. Yeah, so, you know, I grew up here in South Louisiana, Jason, so originally from Opelousas, and later moved to Port Barry, LSU grad, finished in finance in 2004, sort of in the middle of the college stint, wasn't quite sure what I was going to do with a finance degree, so I actually received a specialization in internal audit. Mm -hmm. uh, so I wouldn't say that that's my life's passion, but it certainly opened up a lot of doors for me. Uh, that internal audit degree from, from LSU allowed me to go to Atlanta, work for PricewaterhouseCoopers, where spent, you know, sort of 2004 to 2008 based in Atlanta, then ultimately up in, in New York and was able to get in with a big firm, right, and latch on to a couple of great relationships with partners and some of the senior folks with the firm and did a little bit of everything from process documentation to Six Sigma process improvement to organizational design, ultimately into leadership development, change management, sort of organizational transformation. So worked with a lot of publicly traded companies. And uh, and then after a couple of years of that, I had met my wife, Abby, uh, with PricewaterhouseCoopers. And we were at that point where we were ready to start a family. And so South Louisiana being home, moved back here to South Louisiana, started our family. We now have two little girls, Kate is 10 and, and Emily is eight. And I uh, went to work for a small boutique firm here in Baton Rouge for a couple of years. Entrepreneurship was not really something I learned about or knew much about as a kid. Uh, the idea of starting my own business was really nowhere in the cards. And, you know, began to work on a ton of projects here in Louisiana from public sector to private sector and also in the nonprofit world. And really fell in love with the government work, quite frankly. And, uh, and then sort of in that 2007 to 12 time frame, built some really good relationships and decided, you know, why the hell not in, in 2012, uh, branched off. Uh, my wife and I started a company we, at the time was called Spire Consulting. Uh, we weren't very creative. Sort of that weekend, we decided to launch the company. And we launched it. We had one client at the time. That client was the Water Institute of the Gulf. They're still a client today. Here, you know, here we are a little over seven years later. And so we sort of slowly started chopping at it, right? In, in 2012 and 2013, we brought in our first employee, he's now a partner with the firm, John Snow, who's really helped me build this business. And then, you know, those first couple of years, you know, was really about bringing on a team of people that we knew and trusted, folks that, you know, to some extent, we went to LSU together. Many of us had moved away to towns like Chicago and Atlanta and Houston and Dallas and slowly built together a core team where we were doing great work in 2013, 2014, 2015. And then really have seen sort of an explosion of growth and landed on right teams with the right project opportunities. And so over the past couple of years, you know, we've kind of doubled and doubled and doubled and uh, a little over 100 employees today, 
doing work mostly in Louisiana, but we've got you know some operations based in Jacksonville, Florida. We've got active projects in North Carolina, Texas, Florida, Las Vegas as well. And so it's uh, it's been a fun go at it, right? And and the variety of work that is really all across the board. I mean, our, our stated mission statement is to have a diverse team of problem solvers that help organizations achieve their missions, right? Whatever that is. And in some instances, it's about making a profit uh, for their owners and shareholders. In many instances, it's nonprofit organizations or government entities with, with stated missions. And so we have fun on all those projects, whether it's strategic planning, organizational design, a lot of communications and marketing work, a lot of technology implementation that we do as well. So it's been it's been fun to build sort of this incredible team that's been committed to what is our sort of vision, which is to be singular, unequal, and extraordinary. That is um, impressive. That's a I want to I want to back on back up on one of those things. So you've gone from you said something that really interesting at the beginning that entrepreneurship was never on the agenda. And that's that's really interesting because a lot of folks I find that either hey I'm, I'm, that's where I'm, I want that. And you kind of had on a weekend <laughs> go, Hey, you know what? Why don't we try this? And you get water to Institute of the Gulf and you go from being a two person operation to over a hundred people in less than seven years. That's incredible. Tell me about that moment where you go, Hey, let's do this. Let's make this major pivot. And what was it inside you that made you do that it kind of was the fire that kind of pushed you in that direction. Tell me about that experience. Yeah, I mean, so it's kind of a little so embarrassing to, to tell the story to some extent, Jason, <laughs> particularly in the business we're in, right? And there's the old joke, right, about consultants, you know, do as I say, not as I do. Uh, I mean, consultants are the world's worst managers. I mean, they are. And uh, you can't and, teach yeah, that's, that's exactly right. <laughs> and so, and look, my, my dad was an ag teacher, my mom was a nurse. I grew up in rural St. Landry Parish. I mean, just I wouldn't have known where to start on my own business, right? And, and really what it came down to is I love consulting work. I mean, I loved the variety of consulting work. I love the fact that every day is a different challenge. Each client is in a different industry. So I constantly have the opportunity to learn. And I was at that point in my consulting career where there was a lot of pressures being put on us to build practices, to leverage other resources. And frankly, I wasn't interested in doing that at the time. And so the decision to start our company in 2012 was really about wanting to be an independent operator and a specialist. And and I felt confident in my ability to sell enough work to provide us enough funds to sort of raise our family, Jason. Mm-hmm. And uh, and what really ended up happening was, was to, to a large extent, my ambition got the best of me, right? Mm-hmm. Is I, I never wanted to tell clients no, and it got to the point where I was unable to keep up, and Abby and I were unable to keep up with the work that was coming in the door. And so the natural next step, we didn't have a strategic plan when we started this company, even though we do that for other organizations all the time. The natural next step was, who do I know that's out there in the market that I have complete trust and confidence in that share similar values and are committed to customer service, right? I mean, we're in a professional services industry and we have to be committed to providing really a, a unique and a distinctive experience to our clients because if we don't, right, they'll, they'll go to someone else. Right. And uh, and so it was hit a couple of home runs literally with those handful of folks that we hired early on in the John Snows and the Philip LaFargs and the 
Julie Laparouse, and when, when they joined the team, we then began to sort of collectively realize we could build something special. You know, we can, you know, really sort of target what we saw as a blue ocean around our ability to pull together such a variety of individuals, right? I mean, I, we're not an ad agency, but we do a lot of the same work ad agencies do. We're not a technology company, but we do a lot of the same work technology companies do. We're not a big high-end management consulting firm with tons of research capacity and horsepower, you know, based in multiple places. But we've got people that were trained in those areas that can walk that walk as well. And uh, so that's, uh, to, to a large extent, we we worked really hard. We surrounded ourselves with great people. But, you know, we got lucky, frankly. I mean, we kind of lucked into it. It's interesting. You know, I, I heard two, two specific things within that. Because you, you mentioned earlier your mission, right? Is it diverse? You didn't say, hey, we are here to be the largest. We're here to be the the most profitable, diverse team of problem solvers that's focused on the, on the customer. And then the confidence. It's interesting because you had to, you had two, you're driven by those two things. And I think it's what's allowed you to be successful is because you went into it and said, hey, I want to help people. I like being the coach. I like being the person who can bring, help somebody achieve their mission. And I know that I can do it. I think that's two key things that you shared there that is probably been why you've been so successful and staying focused on that customer. Where does, where does that come from? Like, where did, how did, like, how did that mold and how does that, like, how is it something that you feel has been instilled in you? Is that something that's just always been innate or is it something that kind of molded that? Yeah. I, you know, I probably describe myself always as a natural people pleaser. And I think to be in this business, you really have to, you know, sort of satisfy, satisfy and focus on, great customer service. We say this often, you know, Jason, here in Baton Rouge, uh, we're proud of what we've built, obviously, but if organizations want to hire high-end management consultants, of course they can do that, right? I mean, all the big firms are happy to come to Baton Rouge and take on large projects. And, and what we essentially tell our clients often is that if, if you're looking to hire someone that's the best and the brightest to come in here and tell you what to do, by all means, go hire those firms. There's a lot of value in that. That's that's not the firm that we want to be, though. Our focus really is on if 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 you have an organizational challenge and you've got really smart people that are committed to making it better, you're interested in getting some outside perspective, you're willing to roll up your sleeves and work with us on it, then it's going to be a tremendous engagement. And, and, and ideally, that engagement isn't a three-week exercise or a six-month exercise, right? Hopefully, it's, you know, like some of our very earliest clients, it's multi-year, you know, engagements where sometimes it's this, sometimes it's that, but there's a, a real deep and a meaningful sort of experience. And so that's, I mean, at the end of the day, that is our commitment, right? We've been successful. We've received accolades and awards, but it's a fundamental mindset that we need our clients. Our clients don't need us, right? Mm -hmm. And and that is just who we are as an organization, and we're really focused on three things. First and foremost, we want our clients to like us, right? I mean, you know, life is too short. Uh, we work too many hours. And so we want to work with people that we genuinely like to be around. And B, we want our clients to trust us, right? We want them to, to have the confidence they could tell us anything, that they could share with us, you know, their deepest challenges, uh, and that they can call us at any point in time and they know we're going to answer, right? And that's we want to be the firm, unfortunately, that gets the 5 p.m. Friday afternoon calls before the Christmas holidays, right? Yeah. We want to be that firm, right? Uh, because that, that's when clients do trust us and 
and understand that we're committed to delivering for them. And then, and then lastly, you know, which is where I think a lot of other firms probably start. We say it's, it's number three in the priority is we got to do good work, right? But there's a lot of people that do really good work that clients don't like and clients don't trust. And so right. they're all incredibly important. You're not going to be successful unless you do all three, but, but we sort of focus in, in that prioritization order. You know, want our clients to like us, to trust us, and then to value the work that we do because they, they know they're going to get a quality product. And so that's, that has been the focus. And, Every day, that's kind of what our continued commitment is to, to do those things. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. You know, it's funny. It's, there's a very the common phrase, no like and trust. It's very reason that it's that's very common. You can have, if you can provide a great product or a service, but if you don't have somebody who likes you and trusts you, you're not going to have it for long. <laughs> that's right. Um, so going back to the where, okay, so you've got this organization. You've built it up. You have that weekend moment. How long was it that you were, was this something that it was like, you look over and you're like, hey, you want to make a change? Sure. Or was this something that kind of brewed in your mind? And how long was that brewing? You know, what was that like? What was that transition? Was it like a snap? Like, we're doing this now. Or was this something that was engagement? How did, how did you, especially with the family, how did you take on those risks? You, you've got people to provide for. That's a big step out. What was that conversation like leading up to it? I mean, the thoughts certainly bounced around in the head over the years, you know, Jason, but like anybody, right, there's a ton of self-doubt, right, and taking that sort of a leap of faith and a risk when you're not used to doing it, you know, was always an attempt to sort of push that feeling back in mm-hmm. and kind of do what, what many people do, which is there's, there's absolutely nothing wrong with it, right, but just continue to go to work each and every day and try to do good work and get your paycheck and provide for your family and make a difference in your community. And, you know, it's hard to really say, right? I mean, I think it was a combination of factors. Uh, I think it was enough confidence built in my ability to sell work and my ability to deliver work on my own. And the best part about this business, right, is the the barriers of entry and the cost of capital. I mean, we sell our intellect and our time, right? So I don't right. have to go spend a whole bunch of money. And yeah. and frankly, that decision and the way, you know, Abby and I were able to get to that point was a, you know, just a, a quick discussion around what's the worst that can happen, right? I mean, I'll go off on my own and I think we have some work that we can do if we're unable to invoice and unable to collect going forward, then we'll go get another job. Yeah. And so at, at that point, the risk seemed to be pretty marginal. And uh, we knew that there was some upside. We had no idea at the time this is what we would build, Jason. I mean, just, mm-hmm. I mean, I'd be completely lying if I said, and even two or three years into it, we didn't yeah. think this is where we would be. And right. uh, so it's been fun. I mean, it's, and it's a great learning experience. I mean, yeah. I was talking to folks here recently as well and kind of laughing about some of the growth and the challenges we've had now because of this growth. It's yeah. probably time for us to hire an external consultant to come in and help us figure out right. how best to manage and deal with all the changes we've had as an organization, which is fun. Yeah, that's incredible. Yeah, it, you know, Inc. recognizing 5,000 top growing companies, I think recently recognized what the seventh largest growing uh, consulting firms in the, on the planet. That's correct, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, from a weekend decision, man. So kudos. <laughs> um, very, very, very impressive. You know, I think anybody who's around has heard, has heard somewhat of your story and, uh, and it's something that's certainly inspirational. Tell me about why Baton Rouge. Yeah, look, I mean, Baton Rouge has now become the de facto home, right? And, uh, and you know, I'll never forget wrapping up LSU in 04, taking part in, you know, leadership LSU, for example. And 
oftentimes would introduce myself as the poster child for the Louisiana brain drain, almost as a badge of honor at yeah. the time, right? And in hindsight, it's how frustrating is that? And, and infuriating, frankly, that, that we have folks graduating back then and even today that don't feel that they can you know, have great opportunities here in Baton Rouge. And that's really why Baton Rouge is that, you know, and, and it's actually based on the story of so many of our team members, man. There's something unique and special about this place. There's nowhere like it. We noticed it when we were in Atlanta, right? Just around how people from Louisiana always sort of congregated together, mm-hmm. how really folks from other places wanted to join that group because there's such a lot of the of our people. And, uh, and, and so knowing I'd want to raise a family here was sort of commitment number one. But then once we got here and then once we started building the business, I mean, this is going to be home. I mean, we are, this business is only here because of the clients and the community we serve, right? And this community has been really, really good to us. And, you know, I'll continue to be optimistic around what the future of Baton Rouge looks like, right? What the future of our capital city looks like, what the future of our state looks like and and we try to do our part right on projects that we're working on with different organizations to try to work to make this place better because there's, there's so much exciting things going on in our town and you know appreciate folks like you helping to get that word out because sure. way too often we try to focus on the negative frankly way too often we almost try to make fun of ourselves mm-hmm. and uh this is a special place with some incredible assets and you know, until we're leading the country and all the stats, right, I, I hope all of us will continue to work together to, to, to improve our community. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, thank you for that. And I, and I agree. I think Baton Rouge, uh, and I'm somewhat of a transplant, but this is definitely home. You know, I have two young girls. I have, you know, I want to raise a family. I want to be able to be here long term and, and um, creating the opportunities. What you've done with Emergent is creating opportunities for people to come stay, grow up. Hopefully my kids can come up and they have an opportunity to merge them at the number one consulting firm. Um, but uh, what do you think, briefly, because this could be a whole nother podcast, <laughs> um, two key things that Bad Rouge needs to get to that next level, brief, high level? We need some of our folks that have left to come back home, quite frankly, right? And I, think, I think what the perspectives you gain by going and see other places to be able to compare what Baton Rouge does well and where Baton Rouge can improve upon is that, and, and frankly, it's one of our focuses. I mean, as we recruit key talent, uh, that that is absolutely one of our criteria that we're looking for. Not the only one, but we're looking for those individuals with roots from here that have since built great careers in other cities. Let's get them back home. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, I, I really think we need to, you know, focus on that. And then second, right, and we, we oftentimes joke about it is that, we demand excellence in some aspects of our life, right? We were talking about it earlier before we started with LSU football. I mean, there's just sort of this inherent expectation. We're going to be the best there. And then there's almost this, you know, acceptance that we can be mediocre or average or not so good in many other areas. And, and, And until we change that mindset and we have a similar commitment to be excellent in all aspects of our life, whether it's, you know, tax policy, whether or not it's economic development, whether it's a commitment to arts and culture, all of those things we know that our community needs to be a thriving metropolis, a thriving capital city, a thriving state. Those would be sort of the two things. I mean, I think it's, you know, it's all about talent. It's about culture. I mean, it's just like a, what t- what's a successful organization look like? One with yeah. a great culture that has great talent. And so I think we should look at Baton Rouge no differently and how to improve it. 
I think it's awesome. I think I, um, I couldn't agree with you more on both of those points, especially on the mindset. Um, we definitely got it. We have to be able to retain people. We have to retain talent and bring talent that's left back. But the mindset is really important. You know, one of my favorite books is Good to Great. Yep. And it's literally nothing. You can summarize it with literally mindset. <laughs> I mean, if you accept mediocre, you'll get mediocre. And I think if we held ourselves accountable to being uh, not just just good at something, but really, really a high level. Um, same thing with here, being part of the solution. Everybody stepping in, being part of the solution, wherever you can contribute, because everybody has value. You can provide something somewhere. And I think the, the moment we as a city can continue to do that and step up and fill the holes where it needs to be um, and push ourselves to that level of excellence. I do think Baton Rouge is an amazing city that has a story to tell. I think as long as we have people like you that are continuing to do that, I think that story will get out there. Real early on, sort of as we were on our journey, Jason, very successful businessman, sat me down and, you know, was giving me some advice and some guidance, and I was asking questions on sort of his journey. Uh, and he told me something that I think all aspiring entrepreneurs in this town should, should hear, right? And it's, you know, there's a lot of people and a lot of talent in cities like Dallas and Austin. There's a real opportunity for entrepreneurs in Baton Rouge because, mm-hmm. I mean, there's a, frankly, there's a real opportunity. I mean, if yeah. you're willing to work really hard and you're talented and you've got the right business model and the right mindset, you can be really successful here. And we need more and more companies to get created, to become successful, to stay rooted and stay headquartered here because that's how we change the paradigm, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you look at the city of Austin, right? I mean, so much of their success and growth can really be traced back to one entrepreneur and one company in Dale, right? And so who's that person here in Baton Rouge? I mean, they're out there, right? Yeah. And so we need to figure out what's the environment and the mindset that we have here to allow those people to create similar kinds of opportunities for our town. Right, absolutely. So you mentioned somebody who sat down with you. How important do you feel it is to have a mentor? I think it's important, right? And I think what I've begun to like really learn and appreciate even as we scaled our business, man, it's literally each day, each month, and each year is a brand new challenge. I mean, so we're constantly exploring difficult situations where we don't know what the answers are. And having a network of people that you can really rely on and trust and uh, have confidence in your ability to, to share your stories and get some constant feedback, I think it's, you know, I think it's critical, right? If not, it's lonely, right? I mean, it can yeah. be really lonely, and oftentimes we'll think that you're sort of on an island. And the coolest piece about that is that I do have a lot of external mentors that I rely on and that I trust, not just here in Baton Rouge, but even some of the old partners from PwC. But I'll tell you, some of the best conversations I get to have is with our team here. I mean, yeah. They are so good and so talented, and their experiences from their projects are really incredible. And so there's so much growth that I think we're able to even share internally with our team, Jason. Yeah. Uh, it's fun. It's, I mean, it's critical I and mean, it's absolutely critical. It's interesting. You know, when you have, you say mentor, I like how, cause I, I agree. I think it's extremely important to have a mentor, especially now. I'm going to just say personally, I'm a hyper competitive person. And if I could give advice back to younger Jason, was I always felt that it was me to get there. I can drive it. I can figure it out. And that is probably not the best way to go at it. And recognizing that so many other people can pour into and want to pour into you. And it doesn't have to necessarily be somebody who's gone to the mountaintop that you're trying to go to. It's your team members. It's every single human being on the planet can be essentially a mentor. And so it's redefining what is considered to be a mentor. 
has been really shameful for me, and I share that a lot. And I, you went right at it, which is, hey, who are some inventories? You're like, my team members, <laughs> everybody around me um, that I talk to is that there's always something I can pull from it. I think it's really cool that you share that. So tell me about vision-wise then. So if we were to sit down here three years from now and we have a conversation, what would make you excited where you jump out your chair and say, man, we did this, or we were at that, or we accomplished this? What would that look like to you? You know, it's, we've actually been having those conversations internally quite a bit here recently. Yeah. I, <clears throat> this, you know, growth for growth's sake is of no interest to me, Jason. Yeah. I mean, it really is. Sure. The only reason I'm continuously interested in growth is because I think the only way to provide our incredible team members new and unique opportunities is to continue to grow and expand. But I certainly don't want to define our success by number of employees or revenue or even physical locations. Right? Yeah. I, I just, I really do. I hope we can be at a point in three years similar to where we are today, right? Which is, what are some of the, you know, the biggest challenges facing our community right now from a business, a civic, a philanthropic perspective? And are we the firm that's getting the calls to work on those projects? That, that's how I want to define success. And yeah. as I sit here today, the answer is overwhelmingly yes, right? Yeah. I mean, I, our firm is, you know, heavily involved in tons of initiatives in the healthcare space around making sure that healthcare is, is affordable and it's accessible, right? Our firm is tremendously involved in all things resilience focused, whether it's coastal restoration and coastal protection with what's going on with our, our land loss challenges to all the watershed challenges associated with flooding that we've experienced over the years. We've got folks working on opioid epidemics. We were involved in the development and the launch of the Bridge Center, right? Providing mental health services to members of our community. I mean, so all the things that are important to us, right? If you listen to the governor or the mayor or city councils talk about, we're currently involved and in working in some way to support those efforts. And that's really what I want, you know, three years to look like from now. Because if, if that's the case, that means we're continuing to get the calls to help solve, not to unilaterally solve, but be part of the teams that are solving the challenges facing our community. And the only way that happens is if our clients like us, trust us, and value us, right? Right. And so that that really is how we're going to define success. Now, from a business perspective, right, I mean, you know, what does that ultimately look like? I, mean, I think we're going to continue to look for ways to expand within Louisiana. We, we think that, you know, that's just a natural sort of expansion from really that I-10 corridor from from Lake Charles down into New Orleans because mm -hmm. the majority of our work still is capital city focused. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, we've essentially drawn up a, a loose line from Austin, Texas, all the way up to DC. And mm -hmm. says any capital city in the Southeast with the right person and the right opportunity, we're willing to expand. Expansion in our market and in, and in our industry can take on a number of different things, right? It doesn't mm -hmm. require as much of the physical infrastructure that it might in other people in other industries, but we certainly have to have the right people and the right players. And so right. we're strategically targeting, you know, regions like Nashville and Atlanta and Tallahassee, Florida and Raleigh, North Carolina, to say, given the experiences we have here, the industry knowledge, the sector knowledge, which of these other markets does it make sense in? And and if we have a, you know, a hanging curveball, we're certainly going to swing for the fences. Right. That's awesome. I like how, you know, I was talking with Marie Powell earlier, and she said something very similar, which I think is really interesting. I think is really cool. Is asking what will get you excited is being true to what your original mission was. As metrics are important, 
but they're a byproduct of something else. And I think it's cool that you kind of have a similar word say, look, we want, we want to be recognized as the industry leader within the areas that we already are, you've already established and continue to grow upon that, which I think is really cool. Um, you mentioned healthcare being one of the areas that you really you know, have strong suit in. If you're comfortable sharing, you mentioned earlier being a cancer survivor. Yep. How has that impacted your life? Yeah, so I, one year out of LSU, right, I was 23 years old, lump on my neck, ended up being papillary thyroid cancer that, that they found in the lymph nodes. And, huh. and you, you feel invincible at that age, right? And uh, it's still kind of crazy to, to think back on all these years later. I mean, we're now, you know, right at 15 years since the original diagnosis. I, I think kind of, right, what it really sort of did is it set a fire that life is short and we only have one, you know, one opportunity to, to sort of live this world. And I, I think it really sort of created a drive and a passion for achievements and contributions and, and really wanting to make sure that, you know, I make the most of this life that I can. Right. And, right. uh, but then, you know, it's, it's one of those, it's, it's one of the ironies in it. You get a few years removed from it, you sort of lose sight and you kind of forget about it. And uh, so there's a, there's a constant need to start in the rear view mirror. It is. There's a constant need to sort of tap the brakes and remember that life is indeed precious and short and yeah. make sure that our priorities are right in terms of, you know, faith and family and, yeah. and sort of those work ambitions. Right. Yeah. And so it's, it's forever shaped me. Right. And my unique story is I went through cancer at the same time my mom was battling, you know, stage four terminal breast cancer as well. And so it's certainly, it's a passion of ours and uh, something we contribute, you know, our our time and treasure to certainly been involved in a number of cancer related initiatives here in this town with, you know, cancer services over the years and some other organizations. And so it's, yeah, it certainly was uh, a shock at that young age and certainly has fueled uh, some of the drive that you see. That is a lot to take on. (laughs) <laughs> at that age with your mother, um, I can I can certainly see that. I mean, I'm 23 years old. Um, pretty sure I felt I could run through a brick wall. <laughs> um, and to have a train hit you like that is pretty impressive. And I, I, I can definitely see how that has molded you and how your drive and focus and passion, how that's been played as, as fuel you've taken that and made it really positive in your life. I mean, that's really cool that you share that. I want to add, you mentioned earlier on mentors. So along the, along the same breath, what are, and this will be kind of more off, off, off um, quirky, I should say. Well, not quirky. Let's say, what are your three, give me three books. If you had to give three books to somebody, say, look, these, this is the book. This is going to, it can not have to be like business book. It could be whatever. Yeah. Three books that you would recommend to somebody else. Yeah. So good to great, right? You mentioned it earlier. I would, I would certainly start with that one. Second one would be Ego is the Enemy, right? So okay. uh, we've actually recently started a book club here. I love um, it. And Ego's on my, it's on my Amazon list. I haven't, I haven't bought it yet. It's <laughs> I'm a good pull the trigger on it. I got uh, too many of them, but I might, I might move that one to the top of the list. That, that one for sure. And then, you know, I would recommend, uh, and, and this is something that, you know, there are times I'm much better at it than others. And, uh, but, but I do know that my world is a much centered world when I'm, reading some sort of a devotional or in some daily scripture, right? Yeah. So I would sort of leave that up to the individual, whether it's a Bible or a, or a devotional. But sure. I would certainly say the, the rest of the world begins to fall in line when you when you spend a little bit of time there every day. Yeah, I love it. Um, Paul Tripp's uh, daily, daily uh, devotional is one of my favorite on that. 
That's good. Ego is enemy. I'm curious. Can you want? Have you read? You read ego? Right. Obviously. So, um, one nugget you pulled from it. When share one like, ooh, I got this from ego is the enemy. I mean, it's it's the ultimate gut check, sort of the whole time, right? Yeah. And uh, sort of the main takeaway, right? And I don't know if this was in Kel- in his words or sort of my sort of take on it, but it is what got you to where you are today won't get you to where you want to be in the future, mm. right? And you sort of referenced that earlier too, around. Yeah sort of that drive and the ambition and thinking that you can do it all yourself. Right. And, you know, to a point that is true, right? But but inevitably, um, that reliance on self and that inability to really rely on others and, and, and put your guard down and be a little bit more vulnerable mm-hmm. will get in your way of ultimate success, right? right. And, uh, and so that's, you know, oftentimes think about this image, right? And uh, it's, you know, it, it's, it's great to climb the mountain. The question is, when you get to the top of the mountain, right, are you going to be standing by yourself or are you going to be able to celebrate that moment with others? And, right. uh, and I certainly can fall into the trap where I can trample on people and arrogance and ego certainly get the best of me, right? right. And so that's just, it's just a constant struggle yeah. of trying to remind ourselves what it is we're trying to do and what it is we're trying to build. And yeah. uh, and, and it's, it's a whole lot more enjoyable when you're doing it with the team. Yeah, that's awesome. I agree with you on that point. That's That's... Ego definitely can be the enemy on that front. All right, so if you had a giant billboard, Nick, say anything. It's going to be the Nick, the Nickism, whatever. You want to send a message out. What's the, what's the one thing, I'll give you a second to think on it, you're going to put on the billboard? If we walk into our office, you see it plastered on our wall, right? And it's sort of, you know, we help companies do mission and vision statements all the time. We went a little untraditional with our vision statement and almost intentionally right because we did get this sense we didn't want to define ourselves around a specific scope of services and and it's to be singular unequaled and extraordinary mm-hmm. right and so that those would be the three words and sort of a challenge to everybody i mean i think there's single unequal, singular singular unequal and extraordinary. extraordinary. I love and I, I tell folks this too, if you know, it's sort of in joke, and if, if you want to be plural, equal, and ordinary, go work somewhere else. You know, don't come <laughs> to the rigid method. Right? Our, our goal is to truly be singular and equal and extraordinary. And so it. those words are in our office. It's yeah. what we aspire to be. It's a that's a that's a difficult bar to sort of hit every single sure. day, but if that's what we're thriving for, then we're gonna provide some incredible experiences to our clients, some incredible experiences to our team members. And we think if we do those things, you know, the success will follow whatever that looks like. That's awesome. I love it. Um, <laughs> plural equal to an extraordinary. That's right. You want to be those things, go work somewhere else. Don't come here. I feel like that would be a, um, <laughs> what's the movie? Dodgeball with, uh, Vince Vaughn, you're like, you know what? How's life going, man? I keep my expectations low and I'm never disappointed. <laughs> this is not the place for that. Vince Vaughn did not fall with not make it for very long. It's hilarious. He'd make it funny, but he wouldn't do much else. That's really awesome. All right, so a few closing questions here, Nick. Uh, we'll go here rapid fire. So what purchase of $100 or less has most positive, positively impacted in your last six months? For those on a budget, 100 bucks. Hundred bucks. Hundred bucks. That is a darn good question. Right? <laughs> uh, this actually draws out some of the best answers, man. I'm like, I'm like, oh shoot. And some of them are like, oh, okay, that's your thing. Man. <laughs> <laughs> that is a very good question. Well, look, I'm an experienced guy, right? And uh, and oftentimes our best experiences can involve a 
a cocktail and a cigar, right? So I right. probably have to say something along those lines. Oh, Maybe love a, it. A bottle of Hendrix no. okay. uh, gin and a, and a couple of cigars. All and right. Good conversations can come from there. I love it. So I was gonna have, I was gonna ask for the bottle because I'm a big, so I'm a big bourbon. I'll go. I do like flavor when they send me samples and it's kind of ridiculous but so which which one's your bottle hendrix gin is sort of my hendrix go-to. gin is your go-to that's my go-to okay Wait, cigar you have a specific cigar you like so, you know i was fortunate enough to go to to cuba a couple years ago and of course i only brought back Bring out the, the minimum limit right so <laughs> i was able to sneak a few cohibas back oh. and so those are the genuine cohibas oh my goodness i got even you can't go wrong good suggestions i'm going to add that to my list give it to me one more time the gin. Oh, Hendrix. Hendrix. All right. I'll branch out. I'll branch out anyways. That's too much burden. All right. Um, what's an unusual habit or absurd thing that you love? Unusual habit or absurd thing that you love? You know, the, the, the kind of, there's some OCD in me for sure, right? Yeah. And uh, sort of growing up in the, the heat of South Louisiana, uh, I refuse to get in bed without taking a shower, Jason. Like that, it is not going to happen. <laughs> there will be a shower before I crawl under those sheets. Doesn't matter if you had exercised an hour ago and showered. Doesn't matter. It's bedtime. Shower. Showering again, right? And so, and then I would say just, just generally, quite a few obsessions. I'm, I'm not a guy that sleeps much at all, right? Yeah. So I, while I go to bed pretty early, I get up really early and uh, have settled into. A couple of pretty good routines around sort of exercise, particularly in the morning, yeah. to get the day going. Oh, I love it, man! I love it. Uh, I'm the opposite. I can't. The day can't start unless the shower's happening. It's not happening. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Tell me one thing that's true that almost no that almost nobody agrees with you on. This is for to to Nick. This is absolutely true. But for some reason, no one else. No one else agrees with this. Come on, Jason. You're supposed to send me these in advance, man. No, I'm putting you on the spot. <laughs> That's why I, I kind of was like, did I email them to you? I didn't. The end's going to be tricky. <laughs> and we can edit all this, too. So you can just pause on okay. it, and then we'll cover it. And we can throw back in. I'll throw it in like you answered it like that. One thing that's true. So all this will be just chopped up. It'll, yeah. just be, it'll be like something like, damn, he came off the spot with that. <laughs> I mean, I, I fundamentally believe that no one will trust you with the big things unless they can trust you with the small things, right? And so there's this constant beating my head against the wall, sometimes internally with our team, especially at home with my kids, yeah. where it's like, look, if you can't pick up your own trash and put your shoes where they're supposed to belong, yeah. and you don't do that basic blocking and tackling, right, yeah. then we'll never be able to trust you with the big things. And so that, yeah. again, I think it's 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 my attempts to justify my obsessive compulsive behavior. <laughs> Uh, but it's sort of fundamental that you Pick your stuff up. You're going to be a terrible person if you don't do it. Got to get done, man. I, I had this conversation with my daughter. We go, so this is a, a personal thing. So we, we go, um, my daughter goes to lab school here in Baton Rouge and, and we live kind of out towards Prairieville. So we have a commute and I joke because I oversee Southern Louisiana. So sometimes I have to go to New Orleans and it takes me, it's quicker for me to leave my house and go to New Orleans than it is to just leave my house and go drop my daughter off <laughs> in Baton Rouge, from Baton Rouge to Baton Rouge. But we have to get up early so we can be there on time. And my, I'm like, baby, we have to go because we're going to be late. And she's like, it doesn't matter if we're late. And I said, it does. And we had this debate. My, me and my six-year-old are debating. I said, tell me why you think it doesn't. Because nothing happens. I'm like... It's not about what the consequences. It's about someone expects you to be on time, and you need to show that you can be 
on time and show that you're reliable. And we're developing that now. I was way above my six-year-old's head, but I agree with you in that sense that it's the little things that do add up. You can't be on time, then you're not going to pass kindergarten, baby. <laughs> on time is five minutes late, right? Right. And so you know, I think that's important. Exactly. I like it. I like it. Okay. Um, what's your walking to the plate song? Time for Nick. He's up to bat. It's go time. We need you. It's bottom of the ninth. Bases loaded. So it's actually a great story. So I was in... You know, before all this Houston Astros, you know, science deal and stuff went down, mm-hmm. you know, Alex Bregman was there. It was game five. Um, me and two of my buddies were uh, behind home plate at that World Series oh game. And Briggs comes up, runner on second, tie ball game. And his walk-up song was I Won't Back Down, Tom Petty, right? Oh. And so that one, that one has been sort of the go-to. Ever you adopted since. that one? Right. I Won't Back Down. <laughs> that's ingrained, man. <laughs> Behind home plate yeah. at that game when that happened, that's ingrained. The Braves got the single and scored the winning run. So. Whoa, LSU guy, that's awesome. So Won't Back Down. Oh, Won't Back Down. I Won't Back That's great. I love it. All right. So uh, when we talk about eating spots, we'll wrap on this note here. Best place to get, I'm going to actually do four. So we'll do best cup of joe, best place to get a cup of joe, best business lunch, yeah. favorite dinner spot, favorite watering hole, grab a drink. Yeah, so best cup of joe would be uh, the magpie. I love magpie. Uh, I'm, I'm so it. sad about magpie here. Even their food was fantastic, a little bowls, side note. I love it. Business lunch, right? Sort of our go-to downtown is is either Strubies or the City Club. Um, So both of those, they both do a really good job. Favorite dinner spot, go back to the overpass, Julio Brothers. Mm -hmm. That's by far my favorite here in town. And then sort of the best watering hole, I tell you, it's, you know, obviously the overpass is my spot. I I love the merchant. Oh, yeah. Perfect little spot there. I like it. To grab a drink. Shout out to Nick Huff. Yeah. That's a great one. I like Overpass Merchant a lot. Good choices. The Strubies, Julia Brothers, Overpass Merchant, Magpie. And Adam um, Perkins. And if you haven't done Building 5, it's pretty darn special too for a lunch. Is that the same thing as used to be called? Coca? Cocha? No. Separate. No, it's in the same area. Yeah, I think it was the old, uh, it's where the old Chelsea's was, right? Yeah. Kind of one of those buildings right next to it. I have that on my list of places I haven't gone to yet. He's, a, I think, a new Iberia guy that started it. And uh, it. so they do a really good job with different lunch options and then also some to-go options as well. Building 5, you heard it first. Nick, it's been a lot of fun. Thanks for coming on. Uh, super great content. And I uh, really enjoyed it, man. I appreciate it. Keep up the good work. Thank you, bro. Thanks again for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed today's episode as much as I enjoyed making it. Again, if you get a chance, give us a like, give us a thumbs up, give us a comment, let us know what you think, and we hope to catch you on the next one. Thanks.